In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. To girls, especially, you know, if dad thought she was great and beautiful and intelligent, doesn't matter what the world says, she'll believe that about herself. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with my producer, co-host, Dale Culver, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good, buddy. Hey, I'm really excited about this this author, this guy we have on the show today. I'm not saying this. When I read his book, 10 Things Great Dads Do, I was jealous that I had not read that book 10 years before. This guy really is one of my favorite authors, authors about fathering. I mean, really, he does a phenomenal job, and I'm not just saying that because he lives in Portland. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's true. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Rick before on episodes 154 and 156. So guys, go check out that podcast on Rick's book, 10 Things Great Dads Do. But I'm really excited about Rick having him on the show. Before that, what do you got for a man word for me today? I have... The word power. Masculinity. And I, You're remember, telling I, me we haven't used that before? Uh, well, I don't think so. But I wanted to throw this out here that the traits that uh, traditionally viewed as masculine in Western society include these things, strength, courage, independence, leadership, and assertiveness. Very important things. Um, some people have some negative. We did, we did equipping a 10 on this mm-hmm. and, and weighed in on it. But as far as, uh, as a man word, I don't think so, but, um, these are important things, the strength, courage, independence, leadership, and assertiveness and teaching our boys this, to be men, I think is a key thing. Well, and that's really the topic of our, our uh, interview today because there is a power in masculinity. In fact, when Rick sent me uh, a copy of his book, he wrote, Jim, use your power wisely. And I kind of <laughs> felt like he was Yoda and I was Luke. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's this guy who's been doing this for 19 years and so uh, pushing it down to the younger guy. And I really appreciate that. So, I, without, without, let's just get this thing rolling. I want to brag about my guest today, Rick Johnson. Uh, Rick is uh, 63 years old. He's been married 38 years to his beautiful wife, Suzanne. He's a writer, speaker, and he directs a nonprofit organization which he founded called Better Dads. He's been doing that about 19 years. Rick is passionate about changing the world one man, one boy, one family at a time. He's authored 12 books. Five of those are bestsellers. Some of his books include 10 Things Great Dads Do, Becoming the Dad Your Daughter Needs, A Man in the Making, Better Dads, Stronger Sons, That's My Son, Becoming Your Spouse's Better Half, and That's My Daughter. In 2012, this is really cool. He was actually invited to the White House for the Champions of Change ceremony. He's literally helped thousands of men become better fathers, husbands, and men over the years of his ministry. So, Rick, it's great to have you on my show, friend. My my pleasure. I'm really excited about today's podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about your book called The Power of a Man, which I'm I'm really disappointed that I did not steal that title. That's a phenomenal title. And uh, before we get into the story uh, of, of the book, will you share your story, your journey, just some things about your life that uh, you think our, le- our readers, our listeners need to hear about? 
So I was raised in an alcoholic home, had an alcoholic mother, alcoholic stepfather, lifelong alcoholics, by the way. Pretty abusive environment. You know, most people that have been through that understand what I'm talking about. I grew up angry young man, as is often the case from somebody that comes from that background. Um, went in the service, probably got angrier, uh, acted out in a lot of ways that were modeled for me growing up. Um, some, met my wife and somehow convinced this beautiful creature that uh, you should marry me. That would be a good idea to marry me. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that ever happened. but um, So um, got married and uh, about five years into it, decided we want to have kids. Well, I don't want to pass the legacy on to my kids and the things that are I'm doing that was happening when I was growing up. And so uh, quit all those bad behaviors and threw myself into society's legal narcotics work and actually started a business, started an environmental engineering firm, uh, became pretty successful. And by the age of 39-ish or so, had everything the world says should make you happy, money, houses, cars, beautiful family. But I was miserable. I mean, like really miserable. It seemed like the more I accomplished, the less gratifying it was. And um, I can actually remember driving down the freeway thinking if I just flicked the steering wheel, oh whoa. Uh, I could run into this telephone pole and end all this anguish and, and anger and all this stuff. And so... Um, I didn't want to leave that legacy for my kids, obviously. So I actually started looking at different religions um, and studying them a little bit to kind of see if I could find something. And, you know, it wasn't very successful with that. And so I decided to um, look at men throughout the history of the world who had been successful and see what they had. Because, I, you know, I wanted to make a difference in the world, wanted to be significant. And so I studied these great men throughout history that I admired and the only common denominator I could find of all these men were that they were all Christians. Oh, wow. So I'm raised with the belief system that all Christians are hypocrites, you know, religions a crutch for weak people, those kinds of things. Right. So I, what I did, I decided to study the gospels for a year to try to disprove the validity of them. And I looked at because I was an environmental scientist at the time, so I looked at it from a lot of different, not an emotional angle, but, you know, anthropological, geolog I mean, just a lot of different ways of looking at it. Everything was aligning. And finally, after a year, I just decided that I couldn't disprove it, and I had to admit that it was the truth, and so I accepted Christ at age 40. Oh, wow. And so at that point, you know, I'm praying a lot about what God wants me to do because I used my power as a man for self-indulgence over the whole, my whole life. And so what is, how do I change that? What does that make a difference? And God really spoke to me, I believe, and anointed me even that men and fathers in particular were the key to changing the world to all the problems that we have uh, because men are either directly or indirectly related to the cause of a lot of these problems. For instance, fatherless causes a ton of problems in our culture. So um, that's kind of how things got started. And, you know, it's been almost 20 years now. And and we here we are. I'm sitting here talking to the famous Jim Ramos. So, you know. <laughs> famous Ramos. Notorious. You know, it's interesting. Um, so you're like a Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel guy. Sort of, yeah, I would say, yeah. Wow, right. that's really impressive. Well, in the first, for you guys, uh, you can hear about this testimony in the first 12 or 13 pages of the book. You shared uh, your story uh, and that that guy in the story was you, which I really appreciated that. And I think you even shared the story of contemplating your own suicide and bringing that to your wife. And then it kind of ruined her because she was like, well, what kind of woman am I? Yeah, but That's you, a different story, yeah. The different story. It's in here, though. But then you said something on page nineteen. I really, I really appreciate the honesty, and and how and and you're just raw in this book. You say my goal is to be an honest book, one that's open and shoots from the hip. Men, young and old, need straight answers to hard questions about 
what a man is and how he acts. And you have a line down here that I didn't know where to use it in the podcast, but I'm just going to say it because it was so cool. You say, after all, a man armed only with a fork in a land of soup does not fare very well. And isn't that the true for masculinity in the church today? Holy Mm -hmm. cow, I don't understand it. I don't understand how Jesus, the ultimate male, uh, has so many followers who are soft and weak and nice. But um, we're going to fix that. That's our lifelong mission. But before we do, I want to I want to throw you into something I've never done before, Rick. I want to. It's my rapid fire round. But I'm doing something because I love your book titles. I, I resonate with your style of writing. When I read what you write, it sounds like me, only somebody who's a lot better. Uh, and I call this the bestseller round. So I've picked titles of books that you've written that I really right. resonate with, and I've only read three of your books. But I want to ask you, I'm going to name the title of the book and just tell me real quick what that book either means to you or how it resonated with you or what you took away from the book. Ready? All right. <laughs> go ahead. You don't I'm sound... I'm not even excited about this, but let's go ahead. Okay, yeah. you're going to do good. First book title, Romancing Your Better Half. Um... My feeble attempt to try to uh, encourage men to romance their wives, uh, definitely not a bestseller. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was kind of a sequel to Becoming Your Spouse's Better Half, I guess. Okay, so but both of those titles resonate with me because they, you almost don't have to read the book to, know, to go, oh, wow, this is a, I never thought about romancing my wife or I never thought about becoming my spouse's better half. How did the how did that book fare? Becoming my spouse's better half. Becoming my spouse's better half, a big bestseller. Um, a lot of churches around the country use it for small group groups. Um, there's seven chapters in it about men for women to read, and seven chapters about women for men to read. The goal was to read the book together as husband and wife, and learn things about each other that maybe again that's a little bit raw as well. There's a lot of things in there that probably the church doesn't talk about. I know there's things in there that w- when we do premarital counseling with young couples that we throw in that aren't traditionally in the things that the church and some of the programs that people are doing with premarital counseling would talk about that need to be talked about before people enter into marriage. Did you write that book with Sue Ann? Sue Ann or Suzanne? Sue Ann. Suzanne. No, I didn't. I, she's just fodder for most of my books. She was next. <laughs> oh, do you have to pay her a dollar every time you mention her name or something? She's uh, she's got some Lucy adventures that usually show up in my book a lot. Books a lot. <laughs> well, how about this title? Uh, you had two books. That's my son, and that's my daughter. Um, well, that's my son. Was my first book. That's been the biggest seller. Oh, wow. Uh, of all. It's for women on raising. I originally started out on a seminar I was doing for single moms raising boys to become good men. Uh, I'd had so many requests for that. that, um, And the publisher was like, what are you you doing? You know, and I said, well, this is a seminar I'm working on. They're like, well, give me a proposal on it. And it's like, you know, that blew up into this huge book. So, um, yeah, so it worked out really well. And Still sells well, so after 16 years or whatever. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I, I did not even realize it was written for moms. I thought it was written for dads. So how about how about this book title, Better Dads, Stronger Sons? Yeah, uh, definitely another big bestseller of mine. Um, uh, probably that one, that book, probably I've gotten more emails from men than any other book that I've written uh, that impacted and changed their life. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of, I quit saving them because I got, I was getting so many that, uh, uh, so I don't know what to say about it. I mean, it's just my thoughts on raising a son to to be a good man and and what that looks like. So uh, I don't know how successful I was, but yeah. It sounds like that really resonated with dads though. Oh, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say about it other than, yeah, it's definitely, definitely touched a lot of lives. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, I sure appreciate what you've done, man. So, uh, really excited about this book, the power of a man. What a great title. Um, tell us about better dads. What do you guys do? What's your mission? 
how do you uh, get involved with men? Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a bit of a conundrum, Jim, over the years that I've, you know, we've, we've instituted and started doing a number of programs that were just highly impactful in the lives of people. And, um, and due to lack of resources and things like that, a lot of those have petered out. Um, and, you know, I think you and I have talked about it being the area of the country that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to take it to another state and, you know, a little more ministry friendly state and see how that would work. But some of the programs that we've done have, have been, we had a, we had a mentoring program for fatherless boys in partnership with, um, um, Multnomah university called standing tall, which impacted a lot of boys lives. We used young men from the, uh, from the college to fulfill their ministry requirements mm. and, uh, really worked well. We had a camp for single moms and their kids were a free camp where we would bring them out for three days and we'd bring basically a bunch of men out to play with the kids. And we would do, you know, some pretty intensive workshops with the moms and um, we'd have female volunteers there as well that would do things to really honor the moms and stuff. And this is a, just a great life changing um, thing for them. Um, we have had for five years now, we've had a uh, father daughter conference, which was for dads and teenage daughters there's a lot of daddy daughter dances, which are very cool for little girls. But yeah. uh, we, you know, teenage years is kind of the times when dads and daughters split apart, hormones and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And dads are kind of like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. So we wanted to really do some things to help bring those relationships back together, mend some relationships that have been broke, and. Um, really, really impactful in the lives of dads and daughters. And unfortunately this year we had to cancel due to lack of interest in the area, trying to get these things going. And then nobody in this area of the country wants to go to them. So, Oh man. Well, you, you know, you talked about, you said teen years, dads and daughters split apart. Have you read uh, Dalby's book, Gordon Dalby's book, healing the masculine soul? I have. Yeah. You know, we had him on our show and in his book, he says the same exact thing that there's a separation that happens. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a daughter in his book. He says that dads really need to focus during that time of not allowing that to happen. Cause that's really when she's asking the question, am I pretty? Exactly. Can you talk us through that for these guys that have daughters? I can. And there's a couple of things, um, you know, and that's the time they go break apart, but that's the time girls need their dads the most. Yes. During those years. Um, here's here's the issue that i see is uh you know some of the things that we do one of the things that we do that's hugely impactful is um my partner who's a a, a counselor uh will take the girls separately and while i'm talking to the dads during one of the sessions and one of the things he does is he hands them all a little mirror and a note card and he says look in this mirror for five minutes and write down everything you see and i don't care how well-adjusted and happy the girl seems before she goes in there. Literally every girl writes almost the same thing. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. Nobody will ever love me. Um, and these are the things that our daughters are feeling and being taught. Now at the same time, I'm telling dads, Hey, you know, you need to write this card to your daughter. And I want you to tell her some things that you would never say to her before, because you've been scared to say to her or whatever. And, it's an, and then give it to her at lunch, and it's amazing how much tears are shed. Then at the end of our conference, we will talk. We will have the fathers do a father blessing over their daughters. Mm. And I'll get down on a knee on stage and give my daughter a rose, say a blessing over her, a father's blessing, um, and she will accept it. And I model that for the men, and then I have the men. I say, now you do that for your daughter. Oh my God! I can't believe the, wow. the stuff that are shed, and these girls are just. They need, and the thing that I hear most from, you know, you talked about Gordon saying men need to not let that happen. Here's the thing I hear most from girls. My dad doesn't love me enough to fight for me. Oh, wow. What they, mean is, what they mean is, is when they roll their eyes, when they yell, I hate you, when they slam the door, they know they're manipulating the situation through emotion because dads will back off. And so a lot of times dads will let daughters do things that they know isn't good for them. Well, girls know 
dad doesn't love him enough to fight for him if he allows that kind of stuff to happen. So, guys, you got to fight for your daughters, man. I mean, you really do. There's a lot of bad things, and they're getting a lot of bad messages out there, and they need to hear from dad. When a lot of times fighting for them is fighting with them, is what you're saying. You know, my daughter told me something interesting. She was what we would call a strong-willed child growing up, and especially when she hit the teenage years, and her and her mom were always fighting, and I'd have to separate them sometimes, you know. But she told me two interesting things, and and literally our goal, Jim, was to get her graduated from high school without being pregnant. I mean, literally, because that that was the generational sin. Literally, every woman in her lineage had been a teen unwed teenage mother. Okay? Oh wow! So we had to break that, but you know the, the things she was trying to do and stuff like that were leading to that eventuality. Anyway, now today at thirty two, she's this godly young woman. But she told me some interesting things. She said that you made me go to church even when I fought against it and that you had your boundaries and you had your rules and your principles and you stuck to them regardless of how much I fought and screamed against them. And that's what kept her. And I was like, wow, good thing, because that was some tough, <laughs> was some tough years there during those teenage years. Well, and you shared in your book that when she was a, a – I won't go into all the details that are in the book, but you basically would interview the boyfriends. Uh, and then it got to the point when she was 19 where she had a guy who liked her, and you said, well, t tell us what happened there. Well, there'd been a guy that had been hanging around just as a friend, you know. And um, and one day he said to her, um, he said to her, do you want to go out to dinner? And she kind of like jokingly, like she goes like, you mean like a date? <laughs> and the guy stops for a minute and he goes, yeah, no, I don't think I'm ready to have lunch with your dad yet. And, uh, <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny. I, you know, yeah, it's interesting because I told that story to, um, I've been blessed over the years to speak to Naval Special Ops groups and Navy SEALs and stuff. And I speak to Navy SEALs and tell them that story. And I go, look, but you got to be careful not to intimidate these guys, right? Because they're already scared to death of you. You guys are the baddest men on the planet. You can't go in there and browbeat them or yeah. glare at them yeah. like that. You've got to have a normal discussion. And my point is, I remember all the girls I dated in high school and even afterwards, and I never once met a dad. Not once. Yeah. And that gave me freedom to think I could do whatever I wanted to do. If I'd ever met a dad, I'd have been pretty scared about I can guarantee I'd have been a little more respectful to that girl. And that's part of what they want to see in their dads fighting for them, right? Absolutely. They want to see a dad who says, hey, I've got you. I'm going to protect you. Uh, and, and it's really leveraging our power as fathers. And, and you have another great story in the book about a young man that your daughter met online, which I won't go into that story, but it's it's a great story. That was a... <laughs> That's a pretty popular story at men's retreats. Yeah, it was a gutsy move on your part, man. I really appreciated that. So we'll leave that for the guys to buy your book and check it out. So, hey, on, on page 15 of your book, The Power of a Man, you said most guys secretly wonder, what does it mean to be manly, to be a man? And the subtitle of chapter three is Defining Masculinity. So how would you, and, and I, I, I know how you did it, but on page 55, 56, you defined it for us. How would you, at this point of your life and in, in your journey, how would you define masculinity to these younger guys? Well, you know, here's the problem is our culture, of course, tells us that masculinity is primarily one of three things, having power, having money, or having sex with a lot of different women. Yeah. Those are the three least things that make you a man, primarily because those are three of the easiest things there are to do. It's easy to have money. It's easy to make money. It's hard to make it legally and morally, but you can start a porn site. You can start, you know, drugs, sell drugs, prostitute, whatever. Easy to make money. Not easy to make it legally and morally, maybe. Uh, power, all you got to do is pick up a gun. You got instant power. That doesn't make you a man. And having sex with a lot of women is not hard once once you learn how to speak a woman's woman's language, yeah. I mean, there's a guy on this planet that hasn't told a woman something that she wanted to hear to get what he wanted, right? I mean, so True. Um, and a lot of guys are adept at speaking a woman's language. It doesn't make you a man, okay? I think that God has given us men a power to be able to lift others around us lives up mm. to accomplish things they could never accomplish without standing on our shoulders. Um, and that's 
that's what a man, I think that's what a man is. That's what a godly man is, is he uses that power wisely to lift up others around him to make their lives better. That's really, that's really good, man. Well, you, you quoted Gary Smalley and John Trent in your book, and it's worth mm-hmm. mentioning because I thought it was a very, very powerful statement. They said, how can men not realize how powerful they are? How could they fail to comprehend their vast and terrible ability to touch the lives of their families for the good or for unspeakable harm? And then you continue in your book, and you write this. But those who do not recognize the power they hold in their hands waste a gift and let those under their influence shrivel up and die. That Those are such powerful statements. Can you unpack what that means and the power that we possess that we don't really even understand as men? Yeah, and I think one of the, this is just one of the powers that we have is our our words. And, you know, words don't tend to mean a lot to men. We often judge people by their actions, not by their words. We know that a lot of times guys say stuff they don't mean. But women and children, words are everything to them. Yes. there, you know, we can either the things we do we do say or don't say to our wives and children, and even people around us, people at work, things like that, um, can make a huge can be lifelong. You know, will impact people's lives we don't even we don't even know and we'll never meet just by the things we say or don't say, the things we do or don't do. Um, as an example. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are walking around with words in their heart that their dad spoke to them when they were young, like you're worthless or you're no good or you'll never amount to anything or things like that. And we carry those around our whole lives and and um, and try to disprove that to our to ourselves, to our dads, to the world. And um, that's very negative in a lot of people's lives. It keeps us from accomplishing and being the, the kind of man that we were meant to be. On the other hand, dads that speak affirmative, powerful words into their kids' hearts, um, they carry those around the rest of their lives, too. Girls, especially, uh, you know, if dad thought she was great and beautiful and intelligent, doesn't matter what the world says, she'll believe that about herself, okay? So that's just one of the powers that we have as men is, is, is the words that we use. Yeah, you know, I was reading Matthew 17 a couple summers ago, and I was really impacted by the words of the Father to Jesus, where he said, this is my son, who I love, in him I am well pleased. And it really impacted me that two, some of the greatest gifts we can give our children are unconditional love, mm-hmm. unconditional belonging, and what I call conditional conditional uh, uh, uh Boasting, like we we should boast about them and brag about the their right. their right. their the things they do positively. We don't want to give them, uh, we don't want to do that unconditionally because that creates an entitled participation trophy, you know, right. result from a helicopter mom and a bulldozer dad. But but we need to do those things. And and I and I guess what I fail to understand. And Rick, maybe this tell me if this is true for guys. Do we not understand the power of our words? Do we not get it? I don't think we do. I don't think we recognize the power, a lot of the powers that God has given us as men. And there, you know, there are four or five or six of them that I outline um, that are huge powers that we have to impact other people's lives. And I just don't think most, because we don't, we're never told. Nobody tells us, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. We don't ever learn. It's, 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 I mean, unless your dad was, you know, aware of it, unless he was aware of it. Uh, we're lucky if we have a good dad and he models it inadvertently. Yeah. Models some of this stuff, but nobody ever really tells us, Hey, here's your man. Here's the power you got. And here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like when you don't use it. I mean, look at uh, and movies are great examples. I mean, I think of the movie, Rob Roy it shows the best character traits of men and the worst possible character traits of men. I mean, it's just so perfect to show, what you know a good man versus a bad man looks like right i just watched that movie and i was so glad that guy got a sword upside the head <laughs> i'm serious weren't you just you're like this guy just annoys me i was yeah which is kind of cool about your book <laughs> every chapter of your book is what i would call a man movie raging bull the good the bad and the ugly 
wah. Gladiator, Braveheart, Secondhand Lions. I mean, what great movie titles. Why, why did you go the movie titles as your chapter titles? I think men like movies. And like I said, I was... I was the purpose of this book. I was aiming at not necessarily, not, you know, Christian men is fine, but I was aiming for pre-believers, I guess you'd say. Uh -huh. and, and maybe men that were struggling and um, yeah. So I thought that might be attractive to men. We have a mutual. It was kind of fun, yeah. kind of fun to tie the content of the chapter in with the, with the um, title. Yeah, it was. It, it. I found myself engaging in your table of contents, which I never do with books. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on here? So you and I have a mutual friend. I think he's a mutual friend. You guys share the same book agent, uh, and he works with movies a lot. David Dusek. Do you know David? I do know David. Yeah. Yeah, he grew up in uh, Lake House. I didn't know we had the same agent, though. Yeah, Greg Johnson. Oh. And so you guys yeah. have the same agent. He just got Greg as an agent, and he actually grew up in Lake Oswego. Did you know that? Right. Yeah. So, so he's no, we've a, had lunch a couple times. So. Yeah, great. Anyway, but so back to your book. You, you, we believe as an organization, we believe, and, and we just harp on this, that when a man gets it, everyone wins. We believe that when a man gets it, he has the ability to literally, literally change his world. We know that from statistics. On page 41, I think you would agree, you said, quote, God has given each man the ability to change his world by himself. How you choose to use that power is another issue. So when you think of the phrase, change your world in your book, what does that mean to you? Well, like I said, I came to Christ at 40, so we had a dramatic shift in our family. I bet. Um, from pre-believer uh, pre dad to post-believer. And I think my kids were like 8 and 10 at the time. Uh-huh. And, um, and so they, you know, they really experienced a, a big shift and big change. You know, one of the challenges that I had, and I think that a lot of men probably struggle with, is how do we, and, and what I hear most women complain about is they wish their husband would lead more spiritually. <laughs> um, but how do we do that? I mean, as men, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't feel competent to do that. Well, you know, my wife's been a believer her whole life, and I'm coming in at 40 now I've got to be the leader of the family, right? But it was amazing that just showing just a tiniest mustard seed of leadership, man, my wife and kids were just jumping all over that. They were just like dry sponges soaking up. I mean, they were like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'll get back to you. You know what I'm saying? But no, they were. So, you know, we can change. We change our whole lives and people around us lives are impacted and and then look what has happened just in my life, just by stepping out of my comfort zone. You know, I've sold somewhere between 600,000 and a million books. You know, people have been reading how many people I've spoken to over 20 years is, I mean, you know, there's, you're talking a lot of people have been impacted yeah. now and families have changed because men have changed. And then, I mean, it's not me, okay? It's not, don't get me wrong, it's God did all this, but he used me in a lot of ways to do this stuff. And it's it's all because I was I, I showed at least initial occur, courage to step out of my comfort zone and, and accept Christ into my heart. So Well, that's when we say when a man gets it, everyone wins. We had a wife one time said, Is it sex? We're like, No, it is Jesus. When a man gets it with Jesus. Every and it's what I have. It seems like when a man understands it, when he gets it, he realizes that God wants to put him on display for God's glory. And he has, he gives him, and God gives man this platform. And it seems like, and speak to me, you have more experience than I do in this, Rick. It seems like when a man really does get it. And God, he, he accepts that platform or he receives the mantle of leadership that God places on him. Whether he's equipped or not, it seems like God puts that guy in the fast track. Is that true? I absolutely think God, God, uh, there's been many God moments where stuff fell out of my mouth or, or, you know, I made the right decision and had nothing to do with me or anything else. It was purely God working through me that, um, that enabled that and allowed that kind of stuff to happen because, um, you know, I, I think about like, um, I always used to hear teaching moments with your kids, you know, uh -huh. like, well, you know what that means, you know, but you know, after coming to Christ, reading the Bible, 
uh, I started finding myself having and understanding these teaching moments and being able to to just kind of um, uh, unintentionally uh, develop some of these types of things. And, um, and I, I've, I'm firmly believe that that was part of that was the Holy Spirit yeah. working through. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Hey, we're going to take a short break, Rick. We're going to come back after we hear from our sponsor. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org give us your email and we'll send you a free pdf version of the field guide it's jim's 365 day bathroom book for men it's the study of manly words in the bible illustrated with great stories this is also a great resource for all our arena men we'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast including jim's personal blog prayer requests and weekly boots on the ground mission Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Hey, so Rick, on page 58 of your book, you said something I thought was really good, and you said that men need to believe in something worth dying for. Mm. And I, I could not agree more. Do you think, is that the problem with today, that we as men have nothing to die for, so we've become soft, bored, and purposeless? <laughs> I think you put that pretty well. I think I pulled that uh, out of your book. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds pretty good. I quoted you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I do. I, I don't know that um, men even actually think about it, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I agree. I tell guys, you know what, would you give your life for your wife? Would you give your life for your kids? And most guys are like, yeah, you've told them that before. Cause that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you got to act that way though. You can't just say that you got to, they got to know that that's true. Right. And so that's part of that, which you talked about protector provider, all those things yeah. fall into that category. It's just not physically running out and taking a bullet for somebody. It's sacrificing a lot of things in our life to provide for our kids, um, provide for our families to, um, you know, even even doing some of the things we talked about early, fighting for your daughter, which means getting getting in the in the way of a lot of um, emotional hap trap <laughs> that comes. <laughs> so. Well, you you said that uh, if you are a man, this is on page eighty, someone needs you. And I think that's what you're saying, right? If you are a man, someone desperately needs you. And you, and you continue, you say, you don't have to look far to find a younger man who desperately needs what you've already learned. And so not only does our family need us, but the younger generations need us. It seems like there's an age-old problem, though, Rick, and help me understand this. So you're you're 10 years older than me, and I find myself... You know, having a, I have a heart and a desire to help younger guys. I know you do too. It seems like there's an issue though of of the younger generation because I know I was like this, looking towards the upper generation for help. Like there's a there's a pride barrier. I don't need you, or I don't have time for you. How how do you break through that barrier so that you can actually get down to that younger generation and help those guys who really really need our wisdom and experience? Yeah, I, I've over the years and, and still do, you know, mentor young men, um, not a lot, usually one or two at a time. Uh, and sometimes it's just for a short period of time. So sometimes it's for a longer period of time. Um, and I think to some degree, you're right. I, you know, I think there has to be a desire on their part. Uh -huh. um, it's, you know, you can't make anybody do anything, but I will say that I've observed over the years uh, a rule, a principle that seems to be pretty commonplace all the time, and is that if you give people something that benefits them without any expectations in return, they respond pretty positively to that. And so mm. um, a lot of the things that you and I are doing, whether it be speaking at events, writing books, or whatever, that are helping people's lives, I think 
they naturally then want more of that and to be part of that. And, and I'm not so sure that pride sometimes is of the issue as much as it is them being afraid or embarrassed to come forward and ask for, for help. And so, um, you know, the question everywhere I go all around the country is how do we reach the younger generation? So I don't have the answer to that. I don't know that anybody does. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. You know, the younger generation facing problems and issues that you and I never had to face, you know, with online media, free access to porn, um, video games that are addictive. I mean, I thank God I'm not growing up in oh, this. For sure. I'd be highly addicted to everything probably <laughs> in my nature. I mean, you know, I got an addictive nature probably. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think we have to start early as our mentoring program of fatherless boys is just to start at an early age and, and try to speak into their lives and help them to recognize, uh, because I think a lot of young men desperately desire to know what it means to be a man. I agree. You know, it looks like that. What's that feels like? Uh, and it took me years to feel comfortable in my skin. I mean, as a man, because I had grown up without a role model uh, of healthy masculinity. So what did that look like? I didn't know. You know? So. And so is, in that is an expectation, right? We're saying to these young men, we're gonna we're gonna guide you on the path of manhood, but we expect you to fully operate in that realm. You said on page one twenty nine of your book, men live up to whatever. This was powerful to me, and I really think this is inherent in men. Men live up to whatever expectations that are placed upon them. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is a level of when it comes to a relationship, we need to be careful with the you know ledger type of expectations. But when it comes to elevating these younger men, I think we need to expect great things out of them. Um, and you said on page one thirty one. No, all we do is criticize and and you know toxic masculinity and all this kind of garbage. And um, yeah, if I was a young man today, I'd be really confused. And every time you try to step forward, they're trying to medicate you or or you know say you're bad or whatever. And if you have any passion at all as a man, you're considered dangerous. So, well, and if and and if you have a passion to help men, you're seen as. Uh, uh, misogynistic. Uh, of, of course, that comes from misandristic people. <laughs> but 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 you're seen as this, or or a woman, you know, this guy who wants to, you know, put women down. It's just uh, it, our society is so fast yeah. to put their hands up and to vilify men. Uh, it is tragic, but nonetheless, we need to help these young guys understand what it means to be a man. In fact, you wrote on page 131, you said, men and boys need challenges. We thrive on them. When we lead a safe, complacent, sedentary, passionless lives, we atrophy and slide into, to get, to slide into decay. To me, that is such a powerful statement, Rick, that if we as this is what women don't get it. My son had a my son is a starting uh, punter and a kickoff guy and law and placeholder for Linfield College. And quite frankly, he, he had a poor punting game. So we went out to dinner. We hung out and I wasn't angry. I said, hey, son, what that punt that was high, what happened? And he goes, well, when it's high, I've got a rush. I go, you, you know, you're not punting well. What's going on? And my wife said, you shouldn't be saying that to him. You need to just be. And I go, no, no. We had a mature conversation about why he's not performing. Right. And, and because because mom's job is to love, my job is to raise up a man who gives his best effort and becomes his best version. And and I right. think he was challenged and walked away thankful that a dad cares about him enough to challenge him. But what people don't realize is this last statement of your quote, which you probably, you know, you're an author, so you wrote it. Oh, this sounds good, walked away, but there's so much power in this quote, we can't walk away from it. If we don't have challenges, we are in danger of atrophying and sliding into decay. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, you know, one of the things I talk a lot to single moms about, Jim, is um, allowing their boys to take risks and even get hurt. Um, Yes. I don't know about females, but males I know, we derive healthy self-esteem by trying something, failing, getting up, dusting ourselves off, persevering until we succeed at it. And that can be small things. It doesn't have to be some huge thing. Mm-hmm. But boys that are raised with no men around and only women are often rescued a lot. Yeah. They're never allowed to fail. They're never allowed to get hurt. They're never allowed to, 
you know, continue until they succeed at something. And so they become very sedentary, uh, a risk averse, um, uh, soft, if you will. Um, we have to, moms in particular, if they're raising their boys alone, they have to allow them to take these risks and, and get hurt um, even because that's how we grow up to be men. Um, here's the problem. When we, uh, when we are rescued too much, a, a male, when we're rescued too much as boys, it becomes a lifelong habit. We expect it usually to be rescued by a woman. Mm, wow. We learn to quit. We, we, we learn how to quit and that becomes a lifelong habit. Well, here's the problem. The toughest things, the, the, the things worth doing the most in life are hard. Yeah. And so, you know, how hard is marriage? <laughs> marriage is really hard. Right? Really hard. Well, when a boy who's learned to quit becomes a man and gets married and it becomes hard, what's he do? He quits because that's what he knows. How about raising kids? Raising kids is really hard. Boys that have learned to quit, they, they leave they leave because it's easier. Working a job you hate to feed your family, you know, they quit because it's that's what they've learned to do as a boy. So, uh, yeah, I I probably got off on a rabbit trail there, but um, I think I think that answered your question. Well, and you know, I, I coached footballs for many many years, and I had a mom came up to me that her son was gonna go and do cross country because we were too hard on him. And, and this, she, this was a family that was, they were married at the time. <coughs> and she, and I said, well, I'm, it's heartbreaking that he's going to quit this team. She said, well, he's not quitting. He's just moving on to something better. And I said, well, you can wordsmith it all you want, but when he becomes an adult, if he says, I'm not divorcing your mom, I'm just moving on to someone better. That is mm. quitting. She got so angry and stormed away a year later, she divorced her husband. So wow. I, I thought, this is interesting. Well, the reason why this is so important, Rick, and this is maybe something that women don't understand, because we, have we at Men in the Arena, we've defined manhood as five things, protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. And what I have found, Rick, and I'm not, I love, I love women, I love my wife, and I, I, I love the female gender, I, I love how their brain works, I love, you know, all these things, but... When you talk to women, integrity is not as big of a deal with women as men. Right. With no, men, right. with men, it's everything. Why is that? What have you found about integrity? I think it's a. I think it's a self-imposed code that we have to uh -huh. by it. I mean, without that, how could you trust anybody? How could you trust a man? Um, if I don't know that you have integrity, how can I go on your show and know that you wouldn't attack me or? Or, you know what I'm saying? It ain't over Try yet, brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 That's true. I forgot you got Dale there with you. Yeah. We're coming at you, baby. Blindside. Well, you know, it's really interesting because women don't, I, is, I don't know, women will, I just hear women say, do horrible things. And I'm not here to badmouth women at all. But it just seems like integrity is not a huge issue because they can talk through all of that stuff. But with men, if you. Well, I, again, you know, words mean something much more to women than they do to men. And we judge people by their actions, oh, not by good. their words. And, and women don't. They'll believe words and they'll, you know, that actions don't necessarily. They'll believe a man's words regardless of what he does or how bad he treats them, right? Well, and that's the lifelong, uh, that's how guys have been getting into women into bed for years. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey. I love you. So page 107 of your book, though, you said, and I think this is important to our discussion, nearly every man I've spoken to, now this was powerful to me because you've spoken to hundreds of thousands of men, and you said nearly every man I've spoken to about masculinity talks about the importance of character and integrity in reference to what, it, what makes a man. And so that is powerful. How how do you define character and integrity as different? Well, I think character is a, a a whole bunch of different traits. I think integrity is is just what it is. It's it's uh, it's honesty, but it's even more. It's it's how we act when nobody's watching. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, integrity is kind of this bar that we set and then character traits 
contribute to the quality of integrity that we have in our lives. So, um, for instance, I, I think one of my other books, I Better Dad, Stronger Sons, I talked about the 10 character traits that men need to develop. And they're certainly not the only character traits, but I think they were important mm-hmm. character traits. And I think all those contribute to the amount of integrity that we have in our lives. I thought it was really fun to read your book because, you, you, you know, women don't seem to think of integrity as a huge trait that they need to have. They don't talk about it as much, but they do talk about integrity. And you say this on page 120 as being one of the highest levels that they look for in a man. So they want a man with integrity. That's something that is very, very important to a woman when it comes to her husband. And it probably comes back to what you said earlier about keeping a job, staying married, being a father, because those are all integrity issues. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure women don't value integrity in themselves. Um, I'm thinking of my wife. She's got as much integrity as anybody I've ever met. But um, I think women do have a propensity to bend or skew things <laughs> uh, because of their, their, their more um, accepting and nurturing heart, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm not, I, I just think it's, they'll not- accept, they'll accept behaviors and things. People, yeah. No, that's really good. They want, they want to believe in them as, as opposed to, we're a little more rigid in our definition of integrity. Maybe that's probably. what maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. If you screw me over, it's over. If you screw a woman over, they want they'll talk <laughs> through it. Where we're we're more action based, and no, that's really good, man. Well, you know, I want to. We're running out of our. I don't know how we're running out of time so fast, but I want to address something in your book that was very powerful to me. Okay. You, the way you write, you say things that I have always believed, but nobody else seems to believe them with me. So when you say them, I go, thank God, somebody else out there. I have always pushed on this lie that men, the biggest fear of men is fear of failure. I've never believed that, ever. I've always thought it was a fear of rejection. And here you come along and say, quote, the biggest fear of most men is fear of rejection. I'm like, thank you, finally somebody. Can you walk us through that, why that fear and, and when you get guys, I call it a pissing contest. You get guys in a circle, and it's like they're all – I know this sounds graphic, but it's like they're pulling out their wieners going, who's bigger? They're bragging about stuff. And the mm. only reason they're doing it is they want to, hey, will you accept me? You know, Eldridge yeah. says it's that age-old question, am I good enough? And right. so I think this is fear of rejection is so powerful. What have you discovered about this? Well, and I, I think fear of failure is a fear of rejection because when we fail at something, we're we're usually rejected. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of the fear of appearing incompetent, the fear of uh, you know failing, those types of things. I think are intrinsic in males in general. And first of all, I think we have very fragile egos. Oh gosh, yes. We may bluster and put on this front, but. Um, Underneath there, most well, all men I'm sure are very, very fragile egos, and yep, and that's why a woman just by one word or a raised eyebrow or something like that can crush a man's spirit. I mean, definitely, <laughs> no question. So true. So you know, every man who says I'm I'm not afraid of rejection needs to just think how they feel when they make advances to their wife and she says i got a headache tonight how they feel (laughs) they're they're crushed with with that kind of rejection so and i'm not sure where that comes from maybe that comes from as far back as the fall um where where you know god rejected adam and um how much that how much that hurt and how painful that was but I do know it is intrinsic in the heart of every man, that fear of rejection. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've talked about this a lot on the show, uh, you know, love and respect, Emerson Egricks, and and how women are commanded to respect their husbands. And I know for me, as a man, I'd much rather have my wife respect me than love me, because oh, yeah. if she doesn't respect me, I see, my wife will love me no matter what. Women are wired for that. But if she does not respect me, she's essentially rejected me. Right. And that crushes my spirit. Well, and, and I talk to a lot of men and women, and I'll say, did your husband get angry about something? It, it seemed inappropriate to, and even I do it. 
Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just the way she phrased something or said something or the tone or the facial expression. I don't even realize it, but it smacked a disrespect to me. And it's like, I'm, I'm like immediately, you know, ready to jump down her throat about it. And I don't know why I got angry. Oh, yeah, I knew I knew. When I think about it, I do know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I wonder, Rick, and this comes out of your book as well. I wonder also if if it could be that this fear of rejection is so powerful because deep in the heart of every man, you know, we want to be great. And the theme, uh, if there is a theme I pulled out of your book, it was that, that men are wired for some kind of greatness. There's something in a man. There's a, he wants to have significance, you know, uh, hurricane Dorian, every single person rescuing other people on the news was a man. Right. You know, these guys will willingly die for something that if they think that they'll be seen great in doing so. Can you walk right. to, walk us through this idea of greatness from your book? Well, I think God created us that way. And I think every man has that desire to be significant. Or, and, and the tragedy is, is that so many of us men tamper that down and settle for less. And we settle for this mundane and Eldridge says it a lot better than I do. This mundane life of, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, just living life, you know, and not having anything. That's not life. That's, that's, that's existing. Yes. And, and I think is part of it is because again, we fear rejection. We fear failure. We fear appearing incompetent or inadequate. And so we don't ever step outside our comfort zones. And I don't think God can use us unless we're willing to at least take a small step outside our comfort zone. Uh, and then he can do miraculous things with us. But, um, you know, God can't steer a parked bus. And so if we don't ever do anything, if we just spend our whole lives working and sitting on the couch watching TV, kind of hard for God to do anything with us. Well, so. speaking of that... <laughs> You talked you about the no no no. You talked about the Monday life, and then I thought you were leading somewhere because you quoted in your book Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said most men live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember the quote. I, I was, was going. I couldn't remember the quote. I was wondering. Then you say they die with a song still left in them in your book, and in your book, you just now you called it a comfort zone, but in your book you didn't call it that. You called it self indulgence. And how do you think self-indulgence robs the greatness or robs a man from his greatness? Well, and that's an interesting question. And I, I think that um, men being self-indulgent is also intringent and in, born into us. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the evil one has something to do with that because it does rob us. I mean, when we're focused on ourselves, it's hard to, use our power to lift up other people's lives. I can just give you a small example. This just happened the other day and it really struck me. So my wife's coming home from Bible study and it's like nine o'clock at night. It's pouring rain. She's tired. It's been a busy day. And she calls me and says, you need to stop at the store for anything for it. And I'm thinking there's no way if I were coming home from Bible study <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning after a hard day, That'd be the last thing on my mind is to call my wife and say, hey, do you need me to stop the store for you for anything? I mean, literally, I'm being honest. Because I'm thinking about myself about 99% of the time during the day and my needs and what I need to do. And it almost takes a Herculean effort to take and focus on somebody else's needs and what they need. And I'm aware of it. You know, guys that aren't aware of it, I think it can be even harder, particularly if we have hobbies that we're passionate about and things like that. Well, and I think hobbies, I'm a big fan of hobbies. I mean, I'm very passionate about certain things, but like, I know you're getting ready to go on an elk hunting trip and I'll pray for you to whack one. Cause I think that's awesome. Uh, I'm getting ready to go on a hunting trip in <laughs> Not November. Not in the valley, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can do whatever I want, but I'm going to pray for you, man. So, so, um, so, so I, I hunt, but there comes a point as a follower of Jesus and a man who desires significance and greatness that I have to say, how much hunting is too much, how right. much exercise is too much, how much, uh, for some guys, <laughs> I don't understand this, but how many, how much video game gaming is too much, how much right. uh, shopping is too much, how much whatever is too much, how much watching CNN or 
or right. Fox or or sports, right. you know. And so that's where I think of self indulgence. How does a man know when he's yeah. crossed over from refreshing well, I, to self indulgence? I think it's about having balance in our lives. Yeah. It's yeah. about having balance between work, between home, between exercise, between uh, hobbies. And those things are all important in our lives, but and we need to have. And so when we get top heavy in one area, the other area is suffering. I think that's one good way that we can tell when we're out of balance. Are you working 90 hours a week? Really hard to be a good dad when you're working 90 hours a week. I don't yep. care how good a dad you are, how yep. good a man you are. Hard to be a good husband when you're working that much, you know. And there may be seasons in your life when you do have to be out of balance, but you need to be aware of that and you need to then work at some point to get those your life back into balance again. Yeah, there's a real tension there, Rick, because I get home and, you know, there's a lot to do at the end of a day still that is not, not completed, but but there's no energy left. So I'll find myself for an hour, you know, eight to nine, watching TV with a wife, rubbing her feet or something, which is there's value of that. I see that. But I think sometimes I go, man, is there still a song left in me? Mm. Well, you know, interestingly, I, I owned an environmental engineering firm for 16 years before I became a writer and speaker. And when I started it, I sat down with my wife and I said, look, here's the deal. If I work a lot and a lot of hours, I can probably become wealthy. But it's going to mean that I'm going to be away from you and the kids a lot. If I only work 50 hours a week, I'll be able to provide for us pretty well and be home, but I won't be able to be wealthy. I just can't do it. So you need to know, you know, which, which do you want to do? And we chose, we decided on the 50 hour a week deal. And, and it meant that I didn't fulfill my dream of becoming wealthy, but at the same time, I had that balance in my life where I had work and home life balanced out pretty equally. So, you know, I think we have to make sacrifices in order to, to do that. And I would say that's where you, the true wealth is found in relationships. Mm. So I would say you made a great decision. <laughs> so, man, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Rick. I always have a great time with you. And maybe we can get out to uh, Eastern Oregon one of these times and uh, chase some uh, chase some brown things around, huh? <laughs> That'd be fun, yeah. Oh, and, you know, we actually are selling at our auction. We have our uh, fundraising auction this year. We actually have a very rare species of animal that we found in the Jordan Valley, Oregon area. It's uh, only found in this one little area, and I think it's going to be go go for high dollars. It is a jackalope. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, hey, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Hey, uh, before we leave, have you leave, uh, Rick, I want to talk to our guys and just say, hey, guys, let's, let's get our boots on the ground here. What can we do uh, because of what we heard today? And there's a lot in this book, The Power of Man. I highly recommend it. Any one of Rick's books, is, they're great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to really address this comfort zone, this self-indulgence thing, and how it may hinder, may be hindering you from becoming your best version. So, guys, here's what I want you to do. I do this every day with my protein intake, so you can do this for one 24-hour day. I want you to track your life, track your schedule, and I want you to start looking at things in this 24-hour period. Let's pick Wednesday. Hump day. Let's pick a Wednesday. So uh, next Wednesday after you listen to this podcast – Track yourself for 24 hours and see how much time you've wasted on self-indulgences like social media, uh, alcohol, surfing the internet, television, unhealthy food choices. You, you get the picture. Think about that. I want you to look at that and evaluate. That's just for your eyes only. So you can just ask yourself hey, and answer the question, am I wasting my life on self-indulgences? We'll also post this on our Boots on the Ground action item when you get our weekly equipping blast that you can subscribe to by going to uh, www.meninarena.org. When you subscribe, we'll also shoot you a free copy of my bathroom book, book for men. You'll love that book. And guys, want to ask you to consider coming on board with our organization, which is a crowdfunded nonprofit organization for men that we inspire you guys to become your best version. And we are able to, because of our champions, give our resources free to active military missionaries, men in underdeveloped nations. And so, guys, we want to ask you to come on board and check us out. So until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Taste the sweetness of victory. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Realize your power. Grind it out and 
be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.